Well, we're continuing our series, Conversations on the Cross. And uh, before we dig into God's Word, let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Word, which you've given to us that we might know you, that we might know our Savior, Jesus Christ, and come to you and be saved by you. We pray that all of us would find our peace and our rest and our eternal life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've been reading here the, uh, on Palm Sunday, the Jews welcomed Jesus as their king, the king of Israel, they called him, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. And uh, that, that triumphal entry was um, similar to how a, a conquering, to a, how a triumphal king would enter, um, minus the war horse. He was on a donkey. He came humbly and gently. Um, but the conquest he was still, that he uh, came for, the deliverance he came for, was still yet to happen. And it wasn't what the crowd that day was expecting. And uh, so, because, uh, but the crowd needed a deliverance, as we all do. And uh, this was demonstrated by that crowd, because five days later at Jesus' trial, before Pilate, they cried out, the same crowd that cried, Hosanna to the son of David, now they cry, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. So it turns out their allegiance to Jesus was not true. <laughs> because when it was tested, it quickly turned into something else. And uh, there's a common wisdom that says you don't really fully know someone until you've seen them tested. And uh, in fact, someone take say you don't even fully know yourself until you've been tested. And it's the testing that often shows what we are made of. And uh, God's word gives us a principle by which you may know who your king is. That's our question. We see this Throughout uh, the, 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 the Palm Sunday entry, the trial, there's this theme. Who is your king? And Romans 6, chapter six or verse 16, gives us this biblical principle. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, in short, who do you obey? That is your king. And now it's easy to obey God when it costs you little, uh, when, but it's when you are tested. That is when you see who you really obey. And that's the question for each of us to ask ourselves. Who is your king? And we're, we're looking at John 19, the trial, the end, the conclusion of the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Uh, and in, in this, we're going to see the, this allegiance of the Jews to Jesus, the, the, the allegiance they claimed at Palm Sunday is tested and turned aside. Uh, but we also see a lot of, of themes that maybe are more familiar, are becoming more familiar as today. We see themes of, of insurrection and themes of, of 
authority. Who has real authority? What is an insurrection? What is a rebellion? What is a rebel king? What? And who do we really obey? Who's really your king? And so we're, we're going to go through these verses here and, uh, and see what God's word has for us. So verse 1, John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So in addition to the flogging, the scourging, Jesus was treated to a mock coronation. He was crowned. He was robed. The, the soldiers proceeded by him at, as if they were going to give him respect, at, like, as if honoring him at his coronation. But of course, instead of respect, they struck him. And all this was at Pilate's instruction. It's Pilate who had Jesus treated to this cruelty and affliction. Going on in verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And as I'm think, reading this and imagining this scene, I'm, I'm reminded of one of the Marvel movies where the Hulk grabs Loki and smashes him into the floor and then walks off saying, puny God. And I can't help but thinking here that Pilate just tried to smash Jesus in order to show that he was nothing more than a puny man. Behold the man, the puny man. Uh, but as in a scene of justice, this is very odd. Pilate punished an innocent man as a criminal and then expected the crowd to believe him when he announced that Jesus was innocent. I mean, by the whole appearance of it is a contradiction. And so the question is, well, who did Pilate serve? Who was Pilate's king? Well, it's not justice, that's for sure. Seems he's obeying only his fear and his pride. And the, his opposition, take, they took full advantage of this contradiction. Verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Sanhedrin had their hearts set on the death of Jesus. But they offended Pilate by opposing his will. So Pilate taunted them for their inability to kill Jesus themselves. We could read a little snark into these words. No, you crucify him. Oh, oh, wait, you can't. 
And maybe I'm exaggerating the tone a little here, but, but this must have been a taunt because only Rome could execute by crucifixion. Pilate is telling them to do something they cannot do, uh, which they all know. So this, this is becoming a, a test of wills. And next in this furious test of wills, the Jews finally reveal their true accusation against Jesus. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Meaning he, he had, was already afraid before this, and now he's even more afraid. And, and there's two key, key phrases I want to emphasize here. One, one is this accusation. He has made himself. That means to raise yourself up. And the secondly, the son of God, which means to be, to be the one true God, but in the flesh. And when Pilate heard this, he was afraid. It's, it seemed Pilate almost, almost had a wake-up moment here. And when, now when Pilate heard the, the word son of God, we, we must understand that he would have understood this through his pagan worldview. And so for him, in the pagan worldview, a son of God was a demigod, like, like Hercules, you know, half man, half God. This is the reason for Pilate's fear. Verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate has Jesus back into his headquarters for a private conversation, private question, and he asks him, Where do you originate from? Are you from heaven? <laughs> do are you from heaven or earth? And I wonder if this was a moment of, of self-evaluation for Pilate. Like, I wonder if he's thinking here, did I just order the flogging of a demigod? Like, is, is, is Jupiter or Mars going to be coming after me to punish me here? Is this his, the cause for his moment of fear? But no, no, it can't be because the appearances are all wrong. Like a, a demigod would not look so puny and weak. A demigod would look like Dwayne Johnson, like Maui or Hercules. A demigod wouldn't submit to flogging so meekly. And Pilate took Jesus' silence as proof of his insignificance. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate had a very high view of his own authority, his own power. Will you not plead for your life? Apparently that's what he's used to. 
I'm your judge. Your life is in my hands. I can release you or crucify you just like that. And Jesus' response teaches us so much. First of all, you have no authority over me. So no one compelled Jesus. He went willingly. This happened because he allowed it. And, and yet Jesus never came with arrogance, with pride. He never demanded anything. At the same time, he had complete confidence and assurance. He remained in their custody by his own choice. And secondly, <clears throat> from this part, we, those who have authority have it because God allowed that authority to exist and allowed them to get there. Pilate and Caiaphas had authority and they had agency to exercise their will for good or for evil. And we can also point out they had been properly warned against evil. The Sanhedrin had God's word. They had observed the miraculous signs. But they refused to accept that Jesus was their Messiah. Fully God. Their hearts did not obey God's word. Or they would have followed the Messiah prophesied by God's word. And Pilate... Pilate had received all the warnings he needed to know not to condemn an innocent man. So all of them had authority and agency, and therefore all of them were fully guilty of the evil they did with their power. And the same is true for every one of us, for what we do with what we have and our own agency. And this is why Jesus said to him, Therefore, the one who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So in other words, Pilate, you have guilt in this, but you're only number two. The one whose malicious will seeks to destroy me has the greatest guilt. But Pilate, you are still the willing headsman. You are still guilty for executing that evil will. And in the midst of this, Jesus never pleaded for himself. And he never reaffirmed anything to Pilate. Because Pilate already had his answer. Jesus had already told him he was a king of a different world. And he had come to declare the truth. Pilate did not listen back then. And Jesus was not going to tell him again. And even as he proclaimed the limits of Pilate's authority, Jesus accepted that he was meant to be there. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So it, it appears at this point after Jesus' response, Pilate had made up his mind. He'd found some determination. He was going to get Jesus released. But then came a test that 
shook his resolve. The Jews changed this into a test of Pilate's loyalty. Because the Roman emperor Caesar did not tolerate any self-made kings. The only kings allowed were little kings that he appointed, like Herod. A self-made king was a rival, a threat. And Caesar ruthlessly destroyed all threats, all rivals. So if Pilate looked like he was being soft on a rival king, he would be disposed of just as ruthlessly. And this whole trial we see here, this is a master class in deception. Because Jesus never made himself an earthly king. In fact, he taught, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So these were false charges, and everyone there knew they were lies. And so Pilate, the Roman governor who was loyal to Caesar, is going to be accused of being disloyal because he won't condemn a man on false charges of insurrection. And on the other hand, the, his accusers are the Jews who are openly disloyal to Caesar. So every level of this was a lie. The ones who are guilty of disloyalty are getting the, the ones who are loyal condemned because they won't condemn, because they won't condemn a righteous man. It's just the whole thing is a farce. But Pilate's resolve was undone by this threat. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called <clears throat> the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate took the seat of judgment one last time in this trial. He taunted them again. Behold your king. And all the people still cried, crucify him. They are unmoved. In fact, the more Pilate seemed like he was going to deny them, the more they demanded Jesus' death. It's worth asking, where was the crowd that held him as king on Palm Sunday? Will no one defend him? Will no one intervene? No one speak up? They claimed him as their king, and now they hate him. Pilate taunted them again. Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. This is unbelievable. The, the high priests were the spiritual leaders of the whole nation. They were, they were dedicated to keeping the people of Israel 
separate and pure from pagan idolatry. And here, in this trial, they pledged their loyalty to the Roman emperor, a man who claimed that as emperor he should be worshipped as a god. And the, the priests, the chief priests, they lie as they say it, and everyone knows they are lying. And this reminds me of a scene from a different Marvel movie. Uh, there's a point where Loki, the universal liar, <laughs> pledges undying loyalty to Thanos, the ultimate bad guy. But this is all a deception. Loki's just trying to get close enough to Thanos so he can knife him. But Thanos knows this is a lie because everyone knows that Loki is the biggest liar of them all and Thanos stops him easily. But the Jews are, are in this trial here were far worse because Loki pledged false loyalty to try to stop the bad guy. What the chief priests did would, would be as if, loyal, as if Loki had pledged false loyalty to the bad guy so that he could cl get close enough to kill his brother, the hero. And even that illustration doesn't really go to the depth of, of the evil of this actual historical situation. The crowd revealed what was really in their hearts. Who did they obey? Who was their king? They rejected the Son of God and asked for a tyrant. And if you would rather be slaves to a tyrant than serve the Son of God, then tyrants you shall have. They said out loud what their hearts had already shown. God was not their king. He was not king of their hearts. And this is what Jesus had told them earlier in John chapter 4, verse 44. Jesus speaking here. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The Sanhedrin and the crowd knowingly used lies to commit a murder. Their hearts obeyed their fear, their pride, and ultimately the devil because he is the father of all lies. And you are a slave of the one you obey. So who were they obeying? Who was their king? Clearly not God. And this biblical principle is still true today. The one you obey is your king. The Jews hailed Jesus as king on Sunday, and condemned him on Friday. And many people today hail Jesus as God on Sunday, and they go out and lie and cheat Monday through Friday. But if you are obedient to sin, then you are a slave to sin. And Jesus said that too. <clears throat> John 8, 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. And no one who practices sin should think that they have any claim on God or his kingdom. 
get a drink here. And the Bible makes it pretty clear what works obey God and which ones don't. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. <clears throat> now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we honestly look at God's word, it's easy to see what we are obedient to. And as I said at the start, this is especially evident when, when we are tested in life. And people are guilty of making other things, even other people, into idols, into kings. Now Jesus, he, he was falsely accused of making himself a king, <clears throat> of making himself the son of God. And of course, the false part of that charge is making himself. He didn't have to make himself anything because he was fully God and was their king. He didn't have to make himself anything. But every person who obeys sin is guilty of making sin their king, making sin king of their heart, of trying to make themselves God. And a person without God is a horrible king and an even worse God. Because sin is a tyrant in the heart. He's a tyrant who blinds his subjects with lies and manipulates them into malice, mayhem, mutilation, and murder. But the stranglehold that sin has over the human heart is exactly what Jesus came to deal with. This is the conquest that he came to, to overcome. This is the victory that Palm Sunday foreshadowed. And Jesus did this by being perfectly obedient to God in all the ways that we are not. And by being condemned for all the sin that we obey. When we look at Jesus. Jesus was the perfect servant. <clears throat> in this trial, Jesus was the only righteous person there. Everyone else obeyed lies, pride, and fear. And became guilty of injustice, cruelty, and murder. Jesus was tested in every way, and the test displayed his perfect obedience to God the Father. And Philippians 2.8 says, he was obedient to the point of death. He was obedient through it all. He stood there, and he received unjust accusations, mockery, and scourging. And whenever he had an opportunity to defend himself and and apply for release, he refused. Didn't say a word. So no one compelled him. He offered himself, he freely offered himself in place of the prisoner of sin, 
in place of the soul captured by the war with sin, in place of his own enemies. And he was executed as an insurrectionist, as someone who tried to make himself king. To the end, that's the label on him. That's the sign Pilate had put on the cross, king of the Jews. To the very end, that was the accusation. But that is exactly what everyone who obeys sin is guilty of, trying to make themselves king, trying to make themselves God. And that's what Jesus died for. And in his perfect submission, he triumphed over the dominion that sin has over our hearts. Jesus was granted no pardon, no release, yet by his death he won pardon and release for any and all who wish to be free from sin. Jesus forgives your sin, and he sets you free from sin, and he makes God truly king of your heart by transforming your heart with his own perfect righteous obedience. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus is king of your heart, then your heart obeys him out of love. You do what is good for the good of all in obedience to the one who is perfectly good. And Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such things. There is no law. Who would outlaw kindness? Who would outlaw peace? All God's ways are good and for our good. And to obey him is to do good for the good of others. And the great irony of the trial before Pilate is, was that when he presented Jesus as king of the affliction, as king of, a, of affliction, he wasn't wrong because <laughs> Jesus is king of the afflicted. He came for them and became one of them, suffering with them and for them to redeem our suffering, your suffering. And Jesus does not come with conquering rage like the Hulk. <laughs> he comes to the afflicted, and he comes with all gentleness and compassion. He comes with tenderness. He comes with friendly persuasion to win the hearts of the suffering and weak. But with the proud and resisting, like Pilate, like many today, he gives warnings, and he gives the rebuke of silence. But there is no king so kind and tender and good towards you. There's none so worthy of your love. He forgives your sins and he makes you holy. And since he's forgiven your sins, you are not in a struggle to break free anymore. You're not in a struggle to prove that he really is your king because look at all my obedience. Jesus has transformed you into obedient children of God. So our obedience is, is out of love and gratitude 
Our obedience is now becoming who you already are in Jesus Christ. And when we see how short we fall of perfect obedience, because we do, every one of us, we can be tender and gracious with ourselves and with one another because Jesus is tender and gracious with us. And our repentance and obedience now is motivated by love. And every trial and affliction you have, whether it's in body, mind, or spirit, you have a heavenly king who is with you and who will bring you through it and who has and will redeem your life. And that is reason to say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.